I saw the level of where I was going. Mm. I saw that. I saw it coming. You know, I saw it coming because I, I knew where I had been and uh, where, you know, where I was going. I saw it very clear. And when did you get sober? My sober date is December 30th, 1998, which means I've celebrated 24, I'm celebrating 24 years and four months. Oh, that's a 20. Wow, that's a pretty good amount of time. It's a blessing. Yeah. Um, well, one of the things you were going to tap into or talk about was, like, what what was your morning routine this morning? What did you do? Well, this is what I usually do, Pete, Rudy. I usually lay in the bed, and I sleep with the television on for whatever reason. That's what I do. And uh, I'll look at a little news a little bit and then kind of, like, think about my day. And then I'll get out of bed, roll on my knees and say my prayers, uh, turn on my decaf coffee, go out on my balcony, grab some meditations, go out on my balcony balcony, and have coffee with God. Mm. That's, mm. that's my deal. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, that's you, how I start. Do you do that almost every day? I do it every day. Every day? I do it every day. Woo. I just do. You know, it started, uh, actually, I, I was um, in a space years ago where a guy talked about his grandma. And he talked about how his grandma uh, spent a lot of time with her higher power, her God. And, and I couldn't do that. And, and it was actually a, a wish of mine to maybe develop that kind of, that type of habit. And so over a period of time, you know, I've done a little bit and a little bit and a little bit more. To it became a habit, and now I can't start my day without doing it. I just can't do it. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Do you, um, when did you first start, like, kind of participating in that, like, uh, routine? Actually, uh, 25, about 25 years ago, I was in treatment, and I remember being in, um, in a dorm in treatment, and there was a lady that was there, and she was on her knees, on the side of her bed, saying her, her prayers. And I thought, you know, I wouldn't do that. I would be embarrassed. Mm. I didn't want people to see me doing that. But I, I wasn't embarrassed for her. She wasn't embarrassed. So I thought I'd try that. And I remember going to uh, one of the classes uh, that they have in treatment. And I remember asking the facilitator, you know, he was sharing about your higher power, spending time with your higher power like they do, you know, because it is important I learned later. And I asked him, why was it so important that we got on our knees? You know, because I hear people say, I pray in the car, I pray in the shower, you know, I don't need to get on my knees. And he said it was a form of humility. Mm -hmm. And that touched me. And so I started actually in treatment, like just getting on my knees. The whole meditation, though, people were um, giving me meditation books uh, when I got out of treatment, actually, let me back up a little bit. I got out of, when I got out of treatment, I went to a recovery house and they had meditation books like on the table for the ladies. And I got uh, like I would get on my knees and say a quick prayer, you know, just quick, you know, maybe 30 seconds or whatever. And over a period of time, it started being a little bit longer. And then I'd get up and I'd read a meditation book. And it was as though, you know, they talk about prayer and meditation in this program that I'm in. They talk about prayer and meditation. And prayer was, you know, asking, which I could do because I'm so selfish, you know. I yeah. have things that I want, I need, you know, so I ask, I ask. But I have a problem listening. And I thought meditation involved uh, just sitting and sitting quiet and clearing your mind for 
10, 15, 5, 10, 15, 20 minutes. But I found for me from the very beginning that those meditation books always talked to me. It was always something that I was thinking about or dealing with, and I would read that, and, and it was like my higher power, my God, was talking to me. So I would be praying, and then I'd hear. So that was my form of prayer and meditation, and I just started um, like embracing that and kind of staying with that. You know, I just want to share this, because every now and again, you know, I'm out there doing my meditation, and I'll get a tickler. I call them ticklers from God, right? And that tickler will say, text Rudy. Or it'll say, you know, text some new lady that came in the rooms and I got her phone number, just somebody. And I will get a response back that says, how did you know that I needed to hear from you? Yeah. So I start buying into that. You know what I mean? So I do. Yeah, that's why that's important to me. And I've just, you know, started doing it more and more and more. And sometimes I add something onto it. Yeah, no, and I really appreciate those texts. And before you get too deep into your story, I just want to say uh, you're really one of my heroes in the recovery community in Seattle. And it goes back about five years. Of, when I first met you, I just want to tell this quick story. Uh, we were sitting in a recovery meeting uh, at one of the recovery halls, and, and the meeting had just mm -hmm. ended, and you pulled me to the side, and you said, hey, do you like basketball? And I said, well, that's kind of an odd question. I said, yeah. You said, did you know Kobe Bryant just died? And I said... No, no way. And this was a Sunday morning, and I'll always remember where I was, and I looked it up on my phone right away, and sure enough, he had just died in a helicopter accident. And it's one of these powerful moments that I'll always remember where I was at that moment, and that you had that tickler to, and we didn't know each other at the time, and you pulled me to the, to the side, and I just, it was really powerful for me because we didn't know each other, and you took the time to do that for me, and just, um, and, and I look back at, I, I really never looked back never looked back at our friendship since then. So I just want to say thank you. I want to say thank you for being there because I had just, I don't even know why I didn't have any business being on my phone, but I needed, like I was in shock and I needed somebody. I hmm. needed somebody and you were there. That's amazing though, because I, I never thought about that as a two-way street type of story. I thought you were there for me in that moment, but I never <laughs> thought that, that I was there for you in that moment also. So you thank you for me. sharing that. Yeah, I, uh, I mean, again, it's just being very uh, grateful that you're here today. Uh, see, for me, um, my, like our our uh, spiritual advisor, our sponsor, um, he he sponsors uh, men and women, and when I heard him say that he sponsors women, I you know, uh, there was this moment that i had that was like i don't know man like that sounds a little like off but uh you know i, I wanted what he had because there's this in level of integrity that he carries that i wanted that and so when i met you there's this level of like serenity and peace and like honor and um you're no better than anyone else. Your time is what it is, but like you go and hug and you talk and, and you share and you work with others. And it's just for me to be in the rooms um, with men, but to have women who are struggling in my life, I know exactly where to bring them so that they can have a safe space so that they can hopefully help save their life, lives. Because... Um, 
it's very like it's an extremely important um option to have other women uh that they can talk to and and it's not that you need to separate genders here i'm just saying that sometimes or a lot of times that's it's it's extremely important and when i when i found out who you were and and what you stood for it was uh, very special to me to know that there are people like yourself out here uh fighting the fight and so yep um all right so let's let's move into a little bit of something here um so what what you know there there was obviously a point in time where um you you needed to go to treatment you said you had a treatment that you went to and um have you only been to one treatment center in your life or what what's your story behind treatment well you know i i um i realized that i had a problem well my job realized that i had a problem <laughs> back in 97 and uh they asked me to go to treatment and um i went to uh group health it was called group health back then. It was over in Kirkland or Redmond. And uh, so I stayed there for about five days. And uh, when I got out, they had me go to meetings because I had to get my slip signed for my job. And it didn't take, you know, I just wasn't ready. You know, I guess I didn't really, really, really believe that, that the problem was uh, enough for me to need more extensive help. And, and um, I didn't hear anything really. But the thing that really was amazing about that whole deal, and I didn't realize it until later, is that a seed was planted, that I came into Cherry Hall, actually, and there were some folks in there that I had gone to school with, and I had heard that they had had a problem and that they were really bad, and, um, and then I saw them in there, and they were clean and sober. They had a different, looks like they were living a different life than what I had heard about, and so that resonated with me. Even though I wasn't ready, I heard that, and I kind of knew now that there was a solution somewhere. And so I went back out, did some more research in my um, insanity, and then it got really, really, really bad. And uh, they told me that they were going to do random UAs. And so for about, uh, uh, about a year, or t- about 10 months maybe, I started, like, fighting. Like, I couldn't stay sober, and I couldn't stay clean. And, uh, and I got worried that they were going to UA me. And so it was just this horrible, horrible situation that I was in spiritually and emotionally and physically because I got the opportunity to understand the powerlessness of that disease. And finally what happened is I died spiritually. I really did. I walked off the job because, you know, uh, when I tested dirty, uh, they told me that I needed to go back to treatment or I was going to lose my job. And I just walked off the job. And the reason why I like to say that, because I'll tell you that something happened later on where I got the opportunity to come back to that job and retire after I got sober. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. And uh, so anyway, I'll get into that in just a little bit. But so what happened for me is I, I, you know, when I walked off the job, it took about 10 months for me to die spiritually, which means that when I looked in the mirror, you know, I just saw this person who I knew was better than all of this, but yet I couldn't come up out of that hole. It was just a horrible feeling of I've given up my job. You know, I've, um, I have no way to make any money. And so how am I going to pay my rent? You know, I had been hanging around now with people who were homeless, who, who had been homeless and who had lived in trees and who had done all of this different stuff that I like. I'm a bit of a, hmm. I'm going to say this, I'm a bit of a diva. 
You know, like I, in my addiction, I kept a Nordstrom credit card just so I didn't look like I was a drunk. So I didn't look like I was an addict. Like it was very important to me. So when I looked in the mirror and I looked like the walking dead, like I couldn't do anything to make myself look better or even feel better. You know, and I call that dying spiritually. You know, I call the detox and um, and they um, they called me back maybe about three weeks later. They called me back and said on December 30th, we have a bed for you. And uh, I just was ready. You know, I went into detox. And when I got there, there was a guy that was in there that I had gone to school with, elementary school. And he's part of my story. I always share about this. It doesn't change. And I had looked down on him when I was drinking and doing drugs. I had looked down on him, you know, because he was, he talks about this too. He was really bad. And he was working there and he was clean. He was sober. And he looked amazing. You know, there was something really about his eyes that got me. And I remember going up to him and asking him, man, how did you do it? Hmm. He said, Siobhan, I went to any lengths, hence the hugs, hence the you know, welcoming of people, men and women. Hence, I heard it. The first time I had con- gone into treatment, I didn't hear anything. Matter of fact, I smoked cigarettes back then, looking at my cute little shoes, because remember, I'm a diva, <laughs> and thinking, wow, they haven't done it like me, you know, that kind of thing. You know what I mean? Just judging and, like, I didn't feel a part of this deal. Well, consequently, what happened for me is I ended up getting drunk and getting loaded and dying spiritually. So when I came back, something had changed. I had a mind that was so doggone open. It was uh, incredible to me. When I came in, I was 46 years old, and I Mm. felt like a little child. I was, like, in that treatment center, you know, after I asked him in detox, after I asked him how did he do it, he said he went to any lengths. I went over to the treatment center I was talking about. It was called Cedar Hills. It's it's not open anymore. But um, I went over there. There There's, like, 200 people at that time in that facility, in that treatment center. And it was the start. You know, I would be walking the yard. I'd like the yard. <laughs> I'd say, hi, hi. I'm so happy. There's this piece in this literature that talks about we were reborn. I was reborn. At 46 years old, I was reborn, like a little child. I was soaking up everything. Hence, I saw that girl on the side of the bed pr- on her knees praying. You know, I picked up a lot. A friend of mine who I used to do some other stuff with years ago was working. He was also in recovery, he was working at the facility and he saw me and he said, welcome home. And he called me over the loudspeaker at that treatment center to give me a big, big book, like a literature from this program that I'm in. And, uh, and when I opened it up, he said, uh, he had written in there, the answer to all your problems is found on page 45. I'm like, page 45, and I opened up that, lit, that book, page 45, and it talked about, uh, well, uh, that I had lack of power. <laughs> that I didn't have any power. I like, I didn't get it. I didn't understand it, you know. And the answer to all my problems was going to be found in that book. And so, you know, just all kinds of amazing things started happening from the moment, you know, I got into the treatment. The moment I got into the treatment, just amazing things have happened again and again and again. I literally believe that I was pulled back from the gates of insanity and death to be involved in a life beyond my wildest dreams, for real, for real. 
So, does that make sense? Well, oh, that that the word you're hit. Yeah, yes, it did. What do you think, Rudy? <laughs> well, you're you're hitting on all the points. Uh, the thing for me, like, I never understood the correlation between like not drinking alcoholism and spirituality. So, I mean, it sounds like at that moment, page forty-five, you had that that moment where you're starting to realize the correlation. Um, talk about if you can just as you went forward after that what kind of practices did you start doing how did you start tying spirituality into your life so you know a lot of that has come over a period of time uh like little steps but in a way they're not so little they're actually huge for me you know i i i don't really like to talk or think about other people's journey but for me, it just seemed as though, like, just like that. When I said I came in at 46 years old, and I'm saying, hi, hi. Like, it was just crazy, the change. Like, it was just incredible for me. And so what happened was, in the very beginning, when that guy asked me, um, who do I think brought me to that treatment place? I said, I did. You know, I decided to come to treatment. He said, no, God. I didn't talk to him for two weeks, because that was huge for me. Like that mean, oh my gosh, I don't know what that means. Like, I don't know anything about God right now. I mean, I do, but I don't. You know, I'm getting ready to say my prayers and all of that. But I mean, you know, you're talking like, you know, some stuff that's like way over my head. You know what I mean? And that means that some whole different thinking is going to have to start happening here. Some whole different behavior is going to start happening here. I can't get into that right now, you know, is what my thinking was, right? But then I, you know, started uh, like asking questions and um, to just people who had something that I wanted. You know what I mean? Like maybe they were a little bit more um, serene than I was. You know, maybe they were walking uh, with their head higher than, you know, what my head would lift up to be. And I start asking people questions. Well, when I first got out of that treatment center, that guy who gave me that big book, he was holding a book study at his house. And so three weeks out of treatment, I was at his place in a book study. And it was the craziest thing. And I used to use drugs with this guy. And he had been, you know, like, like in the streets and prison. Like, he had been, you know, a bad actor. And there he was, opening up his home, right? And he was passionate about that literature. He was passionate about this new way of life. And, um, and I was watching him because I knew, you know, they talk about, for, for good things, attraction rather than promotion, I was a tra he wasn't promoting anything really to me, but he was just like being so open, so honest, and he was making that literature come alive. And I remember just being like fascinated by that whole deal, and I could feel it. And I remember asking, <clears throat> God, I sure wouldn't mind being able to do that too, make the literature come alive. And I, I, I start thinking, you know, and I say this so often, you better be careful what you ask for if it's along the lines of your creator. You know what I mean? Of your creator's will, because you're doggone going to get it. You know, I got the opportunity to sponsor some women over the years, and they say that I make the big book come alive, that literature that we use for this particular program come alive. You know, that guy has since passed on, but I was able to do a book study with him twice. And what would happen is in that book study, I'd ask questions and 
and be all involved. I go to meetings and share, oh my gosh, I'm in this amazing book study. The book studies start getting bigger and bigger. I'd go to the treatment center back to Cedar Hills and share because people, when I was in Cedar Hills, they would come in from that hall that I go to in another hall or just halls from around the city. They'd come in and we, in the treatment center, I was in there for like 90 days we'd go to the meetings and they'd come in from the outside and they'd look so good, Mm -hmm. but they would share their story. They would share about incomprehensible, demoralizing acts that they had committed, things that they had done, lows that they had taken. And they didn't look like that. They looked amazing. Remember, I'm a bit of a diva, so you look really good. I'm looking at you, but you're sharing and I get it. I feel you, you know, and you don't look like that today. Mm. And so all of the, all of this, right, all of this really kind of like shaped me wanting to be more, you know, as far as spirituality was concerned. I didn't really get it totally, and I didn't get it all at once, just over a period of time. And it's really, you know, other folks who um, just had tried, had changed their lives, you know, um, let me know that, that that this could happen for me too. And then that particular guy he he really um really shaped my recovery because he was a bad actor and he had changed and his whole focus was on helping others giving it back paying god back for the amazing gift that god had given him and i wanted to be like that 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 really resonated with me because i knew where he had come from and the on uh, the level of honesty that he went into sharing about, I mean, he shared all kinds of stuff that I just couldn't believe he was saying. One of the things that he shared was about how he was using in the middle of his addiction, and somebody called and said that his mother was dying, and he said, I'll be there, and he didn't go. His mother didn't die, but it was just that level of uh, humility and honesty that he uh, shared with us. And I just remember before I got into recovery, my sister calling me, telling me my mother had emphysema. She died from emphysema. And my sister was living in Atlanta. And she called. She said, Siobhan, why don't you go over and help mom at least make up her bed? And I was in the middle of my drinking and my drugging. And I said, why don't you? Mm. I was living in Renton. My mother was in Seattle. I couldn't get over there. You know, that was something I could be really ashamed of. But when he shared that story, you know what I mean? I could share that, you know, I did that too. I need to say that I did get the opportunity to make amends to my mother before she died, Mm. you know. But it's just when I'm in the middle of, you know, my uh, selfishness and my addictions, you know, uh, just the level of, uh, inhumane behavior or careless behavior that I exhibit is just, uh, you know, uh, crazy amazing. But all of those things help me with my spirituality. And I just want to share this other thing that happened for me, too. So I, en- I ended up getting a sponsor, you know, um, and uh, I remember that sponsor giving me uh, an exercise. It was like a step three exercise. It's not in our literature, but she gave me this exercise, and I've given it to girls that I work with as well. And Uh, It was like four questions. And one question was, um, how did you view God growing up as a child? And I got the opportunity to be honest about that, right? Got the opportunity to say that, you know, I was scared of God. You know, I had already, you know, stolen a piece of candy. And, you know, the Ten Commandments said that shall not steal. You know what I mean? So I was like, 
huh, you know, uh, you know, I, I, I don't know about this one. <laughs> the second question was, uh, how do you think God sees you? And I had to think about that because all of the stuff that I had done, and I hadn't gone into all of that, the stuff that I had done, you know, through the years and through my addictions, uh, and here I was now, you know, like living this life beyond my wildest dreams in the sense of I don't have to get up every day and go look for alcohol or drugs. I don't have to every day, you know, not uh, uh, be with my daughter who I only have one child, you know, and I couldn't take care of her. I don't have to like leave her anywhere. I can be available. Like I can show up for work. I can do all of these things, you know, that uh, I wasn't able to do when I was drinking and doing this other stuff. God must care something about me. Mm. And the other third one was, um, how do you view God today? And I had to think about that because nobody had ever asked me to think about my relationship with God or a higher power, you know, and I had to think about that. And I was like, you know, I think that, you know, I think that, you know, I, I, I think I like God. I think that, you know, um, I think that I want to know God better. And then it, it asked, the last one was, what kind of God do you want moving forward? You know, powerful, uh, trustworthy, dependable. Uh, you, it was all of these things that you would want from your father, your, your parent, or somebody, and even more. And I wrote that, and she had me do that because she wanted me to have an understanding of God to go into my fourth step, which is like an inventory where you have to look at yourself and your behavior, you know, and people that you're mad at that you think have hurt you or wronged you, you have to write all of that down. And then you have to turn around and look at, uh, what did you do here? <laughs> you know, how did you show up in all of this? You have to do this particular, you don't have to, but if you want, you know, some kind of peace of mind for yourself, then you, you know, they suggest that you do this, what we call step work. And so um, that was just amazing. Uh, and it's an, an, an amazing experience for me, that little third step exercise, because nobody had ever asked me to take a look at, they told me who I should have as a God. They told me how mm -hmm. I should, you know, uh, you need to trust your higher power. You need to trust God. And, uh, and I, I didn't have an understanding of that. You know, and so that helped me kind of break it down a little bit. And I knew from right there, I knew that um, God did not beat me up for not trusting, for being able to say out loud that, you know, I, I didn't I didn't trust you in the beginning. You know, I didn't I was scared of you. I could do that. You know. Did that that was answer? magical. Magical. Um <clears throat> so you, you had talked a little bit, man, there was something you said, like, you hung out with people that lived in trees. Like, what? Can you give a little detail on the tree guy or the tree people? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> Let's hear about these tree people. I know, right? I, I'm interested. <laughs> yeah, you know. Totally shocked me. <laughs> Swiss Family Robinson. Oh, no, right, right, right. Yeah, right. yeah I was, um, I was, um, I had an apartment just before I was, uh, you know, went into treatment. I had an apartment just towards the end, towards the very end of my demise, <laughs> uh, my spiritual demise, which was really good. But um, I looked around, you know, years ago, I used to live in Los Angeles. Okay. And, and I was a bit of a, a bit of a street girl, a bit of a street hustler. 
And and I remember living in Los Angeles and, and things were kind of good. And, and I remember, you know, uh, doing some stuff with some with a few, you know, uh, performers. Like it was kind of, you know, kind of good life, good living. Drinking Remy Martin, Chevis Regal, snorting a little cocaine on the album cover like this a long time ago, right? And so then here I am in this apartment now, and uh, there's a few people. We're sitting around my table, and we're drinking beer, and we're doing some other stuff, some other harder stuff. And I just remember, um, you know, one of the guys sharing with me that uh, he had gotten an apartment, but that he used to live in the trees. And uh, somebody else that was there, they had they were homeless too, and they were staying from pillar to post. And I just remember looking around, thinking, "How in the heck did I get? Uh, you know, <laughs> I mean, really, how did I get here? <laughs> just thinking that, how did yeah. I get here? You know what I mean?" And my experience was that every level of people that I had around me, you know, that I was coming to that level, whatever that level was, you know. So there's this high bottom, you know. I'm doing all of this right. wonderful stuff, and I'm, you know pinky out and you know everything life is good and all of that and then it's just people who are working and and um, messing around on the weekends and then a little bit more through the through the week and through the on the weekends and then losing their jobs <laughs> and then you know now it's it's just every level is coming down to where uh what the normal what we call normal living is not so normal anymore that there's this piece in this literature that just kind of talks about uh, to us our, our alcoholic life seems the only normal one. I know we weren't going to quote, you know, but yeah, like it. This stuff became abnormal for me. Like it, no, it was becoming normal, but it was abnormal like years ago. And now all of a sudden, some of this stuff, it, this kind of animalistic living, is becoming normal. Mm-hmm. It scared me. Yeah, it really did. And I remember having a friend that said to me, Siobhan. I don't think you do homeless well. Mm. And because he knew how I used to, you know, like to want to dress up the outside. And and it was just getting harder and harder. And so the level of people who didn't care about any of that kind of stuff, and I was getting like that too. It was becoming less and less important, you know. And so when that guy told me that he had lived in the tree, I was just like you guys, I was I was mortified. You lived in the trees. Like, how did you brush your teeth? How did you use the bathroom? And he shared like it was like no big deal. He used, you know, um, leaves. Okay, it was just crazy. You know, it was crazy. And it scared me. It yeah. got my attention. I ended up getting sober probably a month and a half later, you know, after that whole deal. Because I saw that I had been in a certain place and that the level of um, my... Um, uh, desire to to you know like live decently like just with just basic things like running water you know like I was beginning to accept maybe not having that you know what I mean so yeah so that's where that was yeah so <clears throat> that so Alvin talks sometimes about like when your best friend turns on you mm-hmm. and how you know, drinking and drugging was fun and you were having a good time with your guy mm-hmm. and it was great. And then all of a sudden he turns on you. She turns on you. Do you have a moment that 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 fun in your mind changed and like it started to become just to be well you needed to use? Was that a part of your story? Oh yes. I was a person who was addicted. 
like to um and you could talk freely yeah i was I, i was addicted and i was addicted to um um and i this is part of my story i was addicted to alcohol and um cocaine and heroin you know, I, I mean, all three of those things, when I walked off the job, it was like, how am I going to afford all of this? Right. You know, I'm a girl who had who had been to the prison, you know, and uh, and back in the 80s, I got out in the 80s and I didn't want to go back. You know, I just didn't want to go back. It wasn't a super bad experience. I just didn't like being around women 24 hours a day and not being able to have ice cream in the middle of the night if that's what I wanted. I didn't like that. And so um, towards the end. I was addicted to all three of those things, and I knew that uh, I don't have a job. You know, I've got these habits on me, and uh, I'm getting ready to do something that's going to probably send me back to prison. And uh, I just, I remember I said, I looked in the mirror. So it was a culmination of things. The, the guy with the trees uh, uh, looked in the mirror, and I looked like the walking dead. I'm like, really, really thin, and uh, my hair is falling out, and uh, I've walked off the job. I have no money to pay the rent. I'm about to do something illegal, which I really, really was. You know, I was about to do some, some stuff that really could have been federal. And uh, I remember, you know, calling that, calling detox. And uh, just at that time, I was in a bad state, and they said, call every day to see if we have a bed available. And I, did, I couldn't call every day. And then one day they called me. Mm. He's in the rooms now. He's, he, I call him my, one of my angels because I didn't know that they write your name down. I just thought he just called me because <laughs> he remembered what I said or something uh, and told me that they had a bed on December 30th. And so that pivotal moment, which I can see it right now, when I was looking in the mirror, and I looked like the walking dead and all of those other things had happened. And I just like, I can't live like this. You know, the thought crossed my mind that maybe I didn't just, I didn't need to be here. You know, I was uh, you know, not doing anything worthwhile. You know, I couldn't go over there and, and help my mother. Uh, I had one child and she had had a baby and uh, she wasn't living with me anymore, but I didn't really want anything to do with her because I didn't want her to see me like this. You know, there's this piece in this literature that I read where it says we step on the toes of our fellows and they retaliate seemingly without a reason. Right. And she, you know, couldn't, she, 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 you know, the reason for me and her is that, you know, I wasn't being around her because I thought it was best to not be around her so that she didn't see me like this or smell me like this, but really it was hurting her. I didn't know that, you know, I need to say that, you know, we are like, that's my girl. You know, I've done several amends and, um, and I may not have been the best mother, but I'm a darn good grandma mm. and a great grandma. Mm. Darn good. Mm. They love me. <laughs> yeah. wow, but it's really as a result of changing my life, you know. That's, that's really nice. I want to go back. You, I appreciate you talking about, you know, just not having like, or being around people that didn't have like the basic needs you know, clean water, a place to use the restroom. We're recording live here in Pioneer Square where, you know, there's many missions, homeless tent encampments, a lot of people surrounding us within 100 feet of this building. 
Um, and for me, when I went through my addictions and alcoholism, I always thought I could never get to that place. Um, and I appreciate you bringing up that we talk about there's these yets, like we, we just haven't gone there yet. Um, can you expand a little bit more about that as far as either people you've encountered or, or in your own story about having that high bottom, but it could always get lower? Well, you know, I, um, that experience that I shared about when I was living in Los Angeles and, you know, and I'd be in Hollywood, you know, uh, at all these different places where people were still doing well, you know, it was a long time ago. So it was just, they called it freebasing or just snorting, you know, it, it didn't get to this animalistic level of that crack, that whole deal just like turned people like school teachers, <laughs> just turned them around. You know what I mean? And so I, um, I could see, you know, when I, um, when I talked about being at, in my apartment and having those people around my table, I saw the level of where I was going. Mm. I saw that. I saw it coming. You know, I saw it coming because I, I knew where I had been and uh, where, you know, where I was going. I saw it very clear. And um, it, and it's, I really feel for um, for people who are um, who are homeless and who are out there who let the drugs just like take over. Where because I know how powerful it is. I know that I it, it had me and it was taking me there. I saw it because I couldn't stop. And I'm just like that's why I'm so grateful that God pulled me back from the gates of insanity. Mm. You know, everybody doesn't get that experience. You know, so uh, I don't know. Does that does that kind of answer your question? Or are you looking for something a little bit more? Help me out. No, that that definitely answers my question. I'm just uh, I'm going back to I look at my own story, too. And why? Why am I? Why did I get so lucky? Because like Alvin, who we all know and, and really cherish and love, he, he always says that, you know, the reason that I was pulled back from the gates of insanity and death is to help another person. Uh, can you expand on that a little bit? That's why I do what I do. I didn't really realize that maybe that's why, but there's this other piece where I think about the real, um, the real reason, you know, uh, that, uh, that I'm pulled back is, or just understanding that the meaning of life is, you know, uh, I believe is to, to help God, you know, like pull his people in, you know what I mean? Like he uses, I believe that God works through people. And so if I'm shut up, you know, doing something different, like only working really hard and, and just to make more money, you know, that kind of thing, just that's all I'm living, living for, you know, um, how could I pay God back for this gift? You know, I, I really believe, and I, this is part of my share from speaking somewhere is, um, the whole gates pulling, being pulled back from the gates of insanity and death, you know, how could I not pay God back? You know what I mean? For this amazing gift. Just even if I didn't have all this other stuff that I've gotten the opportunity to get or do, you know, um, how could I pay God? How could I not pay God back? Hmm. That guy that I was talking about, that the book study, you know, I was in his book study and he made the big book come alive, that literature come alive. He said for me to, talking about him, for me to go back out right now would be like slapping God in the face. And I remember when he did that, because he was very expressive. When he did that, I pictured slapping God in the face after, like, I don't have to wake up sick. 
I don't have to wake up dope sick. I don't have to wake up with the jitters from not having enough alcohol. I don't have to be like sleeping with them youngsters or any of that stuff or a crackhead. I don't have to do all of that. Like I get the opportunity to live and be present in my family's life to be uh, a, a good worker and all of that stuff. Like, why would I not, you know, try to um, pay God back for this gift? And the program that I got involved in, it says very clearly that, uh, you know, this was about one, you know, person, you know, helping another, sharing what it was like, what happened and what it's like today. Why would I not do that? It's simple. Hmm. Everybody doesn't buy into that. Hmm. You know, everybody doesn't buy into that. But I notice that the people who do buy into it, their lives are amazing. And it's not necessarily with um, material things. It's just their spirit. You guys talked about, for me, you talked about you saw that in me. You know, what a gift. A wretch like me. You know, what a friggin' gift. Like, I am so grateful. And so if it's just about, you know, helping somebody, I'm all in. Everybody's not all in, and I get that, and it's okay, but I'm all in. Uh, and that's very evident. One of the things I love about you too, Siobhan, is that you always show your humanness and your human side and that you're not perfect and you have struggles. Can you talk a bit about some of those struggles that you deal with on a day-to-day basis? Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm laughing because I am in the middle of some work, some 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 inside work. I need to get... I like to get like a therapist. You know, I really would. I've, uh, when I was working, I'm retired, but when I was working, I would go to the EAP, Employee Assistance Program, get one of those counselors or whatever, and I would be sharing them my life. And so they would like act like there's nothing wrong with me. Like, why are you here? And so I would love to have somebody that goes, that digs deeper, kind of like what you guys are doing, asking me questions, hearing me, and then asking me some questions to pull some things out. But I'm not there yet. I haven't gotten that yet. So I do work. I do inventory work. And so um, it's interesting. I'm in this program where I'm doing some inventory work. And uh, I just finished what they call step six, which is where you look at your defects of character, things that, you know, kind of like hinder you from being a, a good person, uh, when I say a good person, from allowing the sunlight of the spirit, <laughs> for allowing, you know, the uh, higher power or the God of your understanding to shine from the inside to the outside of you. You know, it's, <laughs> and so I'm right in the middle of that. And, and I, one of the things that I pray for every morning when I'm on my knees, pretty much, is I think about what do I have to do today? Who do I have to, you know, face today or just be involved with today? It could be a woman's group that I'm going to be involved with. Well, then I have to pray to not compare myself. You know what I mean? Uh, to not be self-righteous, to not judge them, to show up with humility, with a good. I mean, like I pray for all of those things because that's how I show up. I show up judgmental, self-righteous because I'm trying to make myself feel better. I don't totally feel super good about me on a regular basis. And when I'm not feeling good about me, then I'm going to judge you. I hate it. I absolutely hate showing up with low self-esteem. I absolutely hate showing up with self-righteousness. Those are some of the things that I struggle with. And, um, and then I, so I, I, have to, I have to know how I, how I can show up so that I could ask uh, God, to God help me not be like that. I don't want to think that I'm, you know, just going to go out here 
and uh, and and everything's going to be just fine. You know that I'm just I'm okay. I'm you know I'm doing all this stuff. I'm working with others. I'm in this program. You know I uh, you know feel pretty good. You know I've been saved. You know uh, from you know the addiction. And so everything's good. You know, everything's fine. I remember when I first went to treatment, that's what I thought. I just needed to go to treatment for mm. 21 days. It takes 21 days to create a habit. After 21 days mm. of not drinking or using drugs, I'm going to be just fine. <laughs> you know, that's what I really thought. Right. And mm. I got here and it wasn't like that. You know, I had some other stuff going on. Then you guys start talking about all this, you know, start talking about stuff I'd never even heard of. Character defects. What the hell is that? You know, you start talking about, you know, self-righteousness. What is that? <laughs> You know, I didn't understand any of that stuff. And so when I started understanding or looking at myself, you know, people who are not involved in this whole deal, they don't have to do that. So they just go about life and, and they've got some good principles and, and all of that stuff. So they just go about life and just do whatever it is that they do. But I, you know, uh, need to pay attention to how I show up so that I can build character. And that's what, you know, I struggle with. I'm trying to build a good spirit. Character. I'm trying to practice spiritual principles. What happens for me is what I desire is serenity in my head. I just want some peace and serenity. I just want to be very clear that I'm a good person and that I'm doing the best that I can. And I don't want to keep struggling to keep up with you. You know what I mean? I don't want to keep struggling in my mind to uh, be, uh, well, I want to be more than, you know, than you know, I mean, every day I want to grow. I just don't want to be struggling to, you know, like beat myself up that I wasn't, you know, 100% and all of that stuff. So I, I just be struggling with myself. I call it mind screwing myself. I don't have to do all of that, but I do it. Wow. Yeah. So that's, how about this? Do you, um, do you struggle with like the addictive side of things in, your day-to-day -day life, like, one of the things that I've been struggling with is, like, eating, right? So, like, I try to eat clean and, like, eat healthy. And then yesterday I ate three slices of pizza back-to-back -back with some ranch sauce and some soda, you know? And so the drugs and the alcohol are no longer the addiction. And it's been luckily, like, or thank God it's been removed. But, like, I have these other behaviors that I, I have that, um, I I usually try to work on, and so are, are there any things that um you're working on right now that you would like to share with us? Like, it's like kind of what you like a struggle. You're looking at me. You know, I can't wait to share. Yeah, <laughs> I kind of just strung that along just to hold on. Uh, I know. Right, there's gonna right? be more. Yeah, you add it up and like. A, like <laughs> I love it. Oh my gosh! I don't you. I don't think you've ever heard me say this, but. I haven't had any cake, cookies, or candy since January 2nd. <laughs> cut that out. Wow. Cut for that real. out. For it's real, for real. Deal. I've wow. had some sweets, but not cake, cookies, or candy, because mm. that is a problem for me. Yeah, sugar is a, a big problem for me, and shopping uh, are, are, you know, uh, um, a problem for me. And this is what I did last night. I was sharing this with, uh, with a, somebody this morning. Uh, when I leave uh, a, a meeting, uh, especially that Wednesday meeting, one of the things that I do is I, uh, even though I'm not hungry, I got to go to Dick's or Taco Time. Come on, man. You, you know what I mean? Story, huh? uh, you know, yeah. when I was using, I would be coming home from somewhere and I had to go get crack. It reminds me of the exact same behavior, the same feeling 
Like, I don't even need this. But I have to go and get me uh, something from Dick's Taco Time or Popeye's. <laughs> when you go to Dick's, what's your order? Oh, uh, regular cheeseburger, three tartars, and fries. Oh, what? Nothing <laughs> to drink? No. Okay. I drink water. Yeah, water. I'm pretty good with that. Yeah, you were talking about how you drink decaf uh, uh, coffee. Yeah, what? What? Uh, so, were you ever a coffee drinker in general? Well, you know, to be honest, I never drank coffee until I went to jail. If I went to jail, you know, I'd drink coffee, right? But, um, you know, wasn't going to jail. So when I get to the program, <laughs> you know, I started drinking that uh, AA coffee and uh, with lots and lots and lots of sugar. And what happened was, uh, because I was also a heroin addict and you got hooked on heroin, the caffeine in the coffee started giving me headaches if I didn't have it. And it reminded me of being hooked off heroin. And so I had to stop drinking uh, decaf. I mean, uh, regular coffee. Mm. I just had to stop doing it. it. Just that's what it reminded me of. So I had to. I don't necessarily do clean eating, but I had to. I had to do. You know, I had to. Uh, you know, not do that. And so I do decaf every, every, every now and again. I'll have some regular coffee, but for the most part, um, I don't drink coffee in the rooms. Most of the time, uh, I'll say ninety-eight percent of the time, I don't drink it. And, uh, and if I do drink, uh, I drink coffee in the morning, but it's decaf coffee. Yeah. I just want to say you're having coffee with God analogy is just so beautiful. Mm -hmm. I use Come that on. in my daily life. Yes, you do. Rudy. Um, so you've talked yeah. about your morning routine. Um, can you take us through your nightly routine? How do you end the day? Something to snack on. No, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I get on my knees and, and try to look at my day, try to think about what I did for the day. You know, years ago, there's this thing where um, uh, part of my practice asked me to take a look at my day, review my day to see if I hurt anybody or if I was mean or rude or disrespectful or whatever negative behavior I could, you know, partake. And so um, I just found it like difficult because I was always doing something through the day that didn't sit well with me, right? And then I got with somebody, a mentor of mine, who we start doing it together. We start practicing that together. And there's this piece of some literature, some spiritual literature that I read that says uh, it can be a joy killer, but the benefits of it are amazing. And then after a while, you won't even, the time that it takes to do it, you won't even, you know, you won't miss it. So I get on my knees at night, too, and I just kind of review my day right quick to see how I behaved, how I showed up. And uh, if I showed up really kind of crazy with somebody, you know, I'll call them or text them and apologize or whatever. But I usually just thank God, you know, for um, for my day, you know, um, and for keeping me uh, clean, sober, sane or whatever and, uh, and go to bed. Wow. The, are you an early riser? Do you get up early in the morning? I do. Mm -hmm. I wake up um, usually around five mm. and uh, six or something like that and start texting people. <laughs> People start yeah. texting me and I start texting them or forwarding some of the texts that they've sent. It's a routine that has just become like a ritual. It's gone, gone on for a few years. There's a few folks that um, that text me and I text them every morning. Yeah. They could be California. They could be Portland. They could be in Florida. Yeah, there's a few folks. That's one thing that's beautiful that I'm getting from your story is just the, these friendships and the community that you have as far as you say, all, all over the city, all over the state and country. So, cause that's one thing that was really hard for me when I came to recovery was connecting with the people and understanding that I could use some new friends 
Yeah, you know, I, I talked about um, coming here uh, back in 97, coming to the rooms, to the program in 97, and looking at my shoes and smoking cigarettes and thinking, ah, they haven't done it like me. I don't have anything in common with these people. And so consequently, I didn't have any friends in the rooms. And so I went back out to my old friends. Right. And to uh, show them how good I looked. Oh, mm-hmm. I got two weeks sober. Right. Look at me. <laughs> I got yeah. money in my pocket. And yeah. they, they got me drunk before I got them sober. Right. And so when I got the opportunity to come back, I, I had to stay here and make friends. And, and I was just so happy to be here. And what I'm finding is that um, people who are just like me, they're needy. You know, they need community, too. They need somebody to be nice to them. They need somebody to be kind to them. So everybody that was nice to me and kind to me, you know, I cherish those folks. You know, um, I still remember certain people in the rooms that keep coming back that were there and they were nice to me. You know, when I went to, I remember going to um, Cherry Hall, uh, I I was in treatment and uh, I had doctor's appointment. So you'd come out on pass and I'd go over to the one o'clock meeting. And I remember uh, saying, you know, my name is Siobhan, you know, I've got it. And so people were just like, oh, okay. And the third time I said, my name is Siobhan, and somebody said, hi, Siobhan. Mm-hmm. Or afterwards, they said, hi, Siobhan. They knew my name. And that was a gift to me. And that made me feel like I could be here. So I try to do the same thing to other folks. You know, I don't know where all of this stuff comes from, or I know where it comes from. But, um, yeah, I just like... I'm not shy about that, getting somebody's number or giving them a hug. People will come uh, to, you know, somewhere. And, and let me just share this right quick. I had a, um, I got some dental work going on. I had, I've been in the middle of a dental nightmare for <laughs> a while. But anyway, um, I was at my, um, my dentist and uh, they did some work for me and they were like, oh, you know, it's, it's almost finished. And so the dentist, you know, went and got some other folks, his other team and said, look at, you know, look at her, look at, you know, look at this. And they were like, oh, yeah. And so I was like, I was so happy. And I said to them one at a time, can I hug you? (laughs) And they looked surprised, but they loved it. You know, and I do that in the rooms, too. Can I hug you? I'm just, I can't even believe this is me. I'm serious. Like, you just don't know. I'm a girl from the streets, for real, for real, for real, and done some stuff. And so to be, like, in this space where I want that connection of just a hug and not you know, pat, 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 like, you know, holding for a few seconds hug where I can feel your soul or you can feel mine. Who am I? I can't believe it. You know, and that just speaks to the transforming power of uh, of God, right? When you're trying to do something different. Absolutely. I mean, I'll just go back real quickly to the Kobe Bryant story because I might not really be sitting right here because that, that was such a powerful moment for me that I was really struggling at that time. And I don't know, I might've not wanted to come back to that hall ever. If you didn't pull me to the side after that meeting and said, Hey, did you know Kobe Bryant just died? And it was just, I mean, I just so grateful that that moment happened. And um, it's just a test to the power of these just small little interactions with people. And I, I try to do that too, to when I see uh, there's people that are struggling or even as we walk outside and there's somebody on the street um, that's struggling, I might have a little conversation with them just to brighten his day just a little bit, his or her day. Um, but you're, you've been a sh- shining example of that to me, and I try to pass that forward. Um, so I just want to say thank you for for showing me, you know, what that life is all about. And like we were talking before we started rolling the footage, um, that you try to show better than you can tell. 
the reason why I say that, somebody just told me that the other day, as a matter of fact, because I told somebody that um, I feel like I don't articulate, you know, uh, well, right? I, I listen to some other folks and they just seem to be articulating a message that's so crazy, clear and beautiful and all of that stuff. And I don't feel like I do that. And what, one of the things that they said to me is, well, you know, you may not articulate, but you show. They said that to me. And so that helped me to say, well, okay, you know, it's okay. You know, I don't have to beat myself up because I don't have um, a vocabulary of a professor or, or an order. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because what happens for me is that I will get into not wanting to do a podcast because I listened to you and you were just amazing the way you touched everybody in the room. I listened to you who's full of repeat, who's full of personality, right? And, and I would say, oh God, I can't share with those guys. I don't articulate well enough to be in a podcast to share. You know, that kind of stuff. Like I'll mind screw myself mm. and, and, um, and uh, like minimize my God who has been totally amazing, who put me in this space for some reason. You know what I mean? Yes. And so, um, so just... That's where I'm at with that whole deal. Like I'll say that as like some kind of disclaimer or something like that, you know, and I'm trying to work through that. You talked about, you know, things that I struggle with. That is the main one. I am so sick and tired of talking about having low self-esteem to talk about the negative piece of me. What would it look like if I showed up in all of my true glory? What would that feel like? I've asked myself that. I'm not all the way there yet, but I'm getting there. Yeah, I, I remember. Uh, so when you're share, when you talk about esteem, right, self-esteem, it really rings a bell. And I don't think we're, uh, I mean, I, I work on that every day, uh, just struggling with, like, how, where am I at? How do I feel about myself? Uh, again, my narration is is that of, like, I'm my worst critic. You know, nobody's coming up to me telling me like, oh, you're so selfish. You're so self-centered. Well, in my mind, I'm creating this narrative that's very, that can be very negative. And so I remember going into treatment and one of the things you touched on was like people remembering your name. And I remember going into treatment. I'm walking down this hall with my head down. I don't want to be there. I don't want people to talk to me. I don't want hugs. I don't want handshakes. I need to be alone. I just need 28 days and I'll be back on on where I need to. I'm going to be on the top of my game. I remember the, this woman's name was Kat. She was like the, the, the director of the whole facility. There's like 90 people in there. And I'm walking down the hall and she's like, hi, Pete. And I was like, hello. Like, I didn't know who she was. And how in the world are you knowing who I am? And I remember telling myself, well, I, you know, I introduced myself. I'm like, hi, how's it going? Who are you? Like, why did you know my name? Well, I saw your intake photo and I got the background on you. And I'm like, oh, so you remember my name for the money. Like, this is what I'm telling myself. You're not genuinely interested in like my real name and like who I am. And like, so when I was, when I was growing up, like hugs, like from my dad, for example, from a man were like, I could count zero times that I was affectionately interacted with in a healthy way from my father. And so like uh, to the, like learning how men would approach you and they're like 
you know, some people, you know, you're, you're very gracious with the, hey, can I hug you? Like, that takes time. But, like, when you go into, like, some rooms, cats will just be like, what's up, Pete? What's and you're just like, dog, if you don't get off, like, man, like, that's a... But then it gets to this place of, like, you're feeling, like, that spiritual connection. And uh, that's what I... Like, I take that with my dad now. Like, I'll, like, I'll be like, man, can I hug you? And he'll just... He'll be stiff as a board. He'll just be like, yeah, all right, yeah, all right, all right, that's enough. And and so, but it's this, it's changing the narrative of like what, because I need that connection. I need that. And other people need that. And so you never know how much they need it until you like say, hey, like, can can I step into your space and like ha- have a, a, you know, a connection? And so that, that that's been very special because like, I don't know about you, Rudy, was that like your, the way that you, operated with your with your homies like were you very like huggy and like i'll tell you this we didn't circle up and hold hands um <laughs> and and so so that's really powerful you know and, and if there's two men on the side of me you know after oh, after our meeting you know we, real. we'll circle up and say a prayer and hold hands and and it's just very powerful you know to to do that and just to get that touch from another human being in a very healthy spiritual way it's, it's very powerful so i remember this one time my my buddies were in the rooms he was like pete like this, this kind of hand, this, this is cool. But have you ever done this one? And I was like, bro, if you don't get off of me with that weirdo shit, and no, but, but it was just this, it's that connection that you have. That's like, it's this love and this, it's something that I never, I had to learn through this program and through this process. And so, um, that's very, that's yeah. very exciting. The people in in my recovery community, I consider them like family now, and like um, yourself, Carrie other women in the program they're like my aunts and uh and i just i view them so uh, at the same level as my blood family so i just want to say thank you so much for being here and i really i love you to death and um, i really appreciate you doing this with us today yeah it's been real exciting and and uh so what we'll, we'll end on this one so this is what i'd like to know like when you um how many people do you currently work with do you have people you work with right now oh god absolutely yeah, how, how many do you think you have? Maybe about nine. Yeah, nine, right. And this is the deal, too, which is really weird. They friggin' show up. <laughs> it's crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, it's really crazy. Uh, you know, in the beginning, when I first started, I started when I was about six months, you know, just people asking me because I was sharing about the book study and what I was learning, and I was all excited, you know, and so I had this good energy. And, uh, and they, they, you know, they, they didn't, you know, they come and, they, you know, we might have a meeting and then next time, you know, they don't show up or they're busy and all of that stuff. So they didn't show up. When I got the first girl that showed up and went through um, all 12, they just started coming and they started staying, you know, not everybody, uh, you know, but, uh, but yeah, I have, I have a good, healthy uh, amount of women. And one of the main reasons is because I, I retired in 2020. And so to fill up my time, you know, I, I start taking on a, uh, quite a few women. Then I went back to work two days a week. And uh, so I had to rejuggle, you know, people. But, yeah, I love doing it. For that hour and a half or hour and 15 minutes that I'm working with a woman, I'm not thinking about just me. Mm. Yeah. Mm. So uh, take us through, like, some of the things that are just really exciting about your life now. Like today, you, you, you've had a lot of years uh, clean and sober. And, like, what are some, like, points that you like to highlight, like, how you've shown up and who you are today. Well, um, uh, well, I, um, (laughs) there's just so much, you know, I shared about being, um, 
uh, a heroin addict and crack and all of that stuff. And, you know, that stuff costs a little money. You know what I mean? You can't do anything. You can't go anywhere. You know, you don't want to leave anything. But I've gotten the opportunity to travel. I've got a, a passport. And my nephew was getting married, and uh, he's getting married in London. I've got a chance to go with my daughter, you know, be a men's piece, living a men's, go to Paris with her and, um, and uh, with my girls. You know, we've been to Aruba. You know, we've been to Jamaica. We've been on a cruise. It's just, we've been to New York. It's just crazy. You know, I've gone on a solo trip. When I turned 18, I went to Hawaii, took myself to Hawaii by myself for five mm. days. Like mm. this, just going places is crazy amazing. Got a chance to make an amazing amends to my mother before she died. Like life is, oh, the job. I walked off the job, you know? And what happened was after I got sober, and was working the program, I had two years. The job asked me to come back. I had been like this, uh, I worked in housing and I had been like this assistant property manager, you know. I was fresh out of prison when I got that job and I could lie. They didn't check and all of that stuff. And after 11 and a half years, I walked off the job and, and I got sober, you know, and I was two years clean and sober and they let me come back as a front desk person, you know, very bottom. But I had prayed about, you know, God, please, I don't want money to be my master. Mm -hmm. And so I wasn't making a whole lot of money. I didn't care. I loved it. Then I got back up to the same position that I had been, you know, when I walked off the job. And, and they had checked. And so I came back honest. Because by then, 9-11 had happened. And so they started checking, right? And I told the truth. I didn't want to. I had to come in the rooms and say, can I share that I worked the streets? Can I share that I had been to prison? Can I share that I had stolen? Can I share... You know, I don't I don't want to tell them that, you know, they knew me before and they hadn't checked. They didn't they didn't know all that stuff about me. I'm afraid they told me the spiritual principle behind the first step was honesty. You know what I mean? They didn't even say anything. Got the job, got the opportunity to retire from the job, had a big old party. The executive director showed up. I'm not even a big wig in the company. You know what I mean? And that same evening, uh, I was celebrating 21 years and I, I had a. Uh, party in the very beginning that was just for the co-workers then the second half was party we're celebrating 21 you know and I got the opportunity to stand there and share with the work people mm. that I was in recovery I had never shared that but I shared that because somebody had given me a chance that was in the room and I was always so forever grateful for them and every year I would say his name was Terry I'd say Terry Terry, I got five years. Terry, Terry, I got 10 years. Because he wasn't sure when he hired me back, he wasn't sure if I was going to stay sober. He had heard that I had a problem. And I told him, I can't promise you, but I'm doing everything that I can to stay on the straight and narrow. And so every year, you know, especially every mi big milestone, I would share with him, you know, I've got this, I've got that. And I got the opportunity to share that openly with all of those folks that were there that I had worked with that showed up for me like that. Those are some amazing milestones that I think about, you know. Um, and then today, what happened for me is, uh, so I said I retired. The big boss asked me to come back, you know, after a year. I was off for a year. So do you want to come back and just help out? Well, you know, I was kind of, you know, wasn't doing a whole lot. I was working with women. I had to move them around a little bit. I came back to help them out for about six months. And then I said, you know, I'm done. You know, they hired somebody. I trained them, and, and I start doing my thing again. And then um, uh, not too long ago, maybe about eight months ago, uh, I, was I wasn't was working and uh, saw the big boss again. She said, do you th are you thinking about coming back to work again? 
And so I said, well, if I do, it's only two days a week. So I came back for two days a week, and I just put in a notice yesterday to say, I think I'm done. I think I want to spend some time with my great grands. And so at the end of this month, I'm going to be done with that. But she emailed me. She said, you've been a gym. But what I'd like to do is keep you on payroll. So if something comes up, you know, can we ask you for, you know, if you want to come back for a short term or something like that? And I emailed her back this morning before I came here and said, absolutely. Mm. You know, I mean, imagine I walked off. And this whole program, this whole recovery thing, you know, this whole God thing is like crazy. Anyway, so, you know, um, yeah. So I I do have to ask, like, when you uh, go out to the world and you're not in the rooms and you're just wandering around in life (laughs) and you're going shopping and going Uh to Dick's driving. And and so um, how do you carry your sobriety? Is this something that, you know, we don't wear stickers out here. So is it something that, like, do you wait for them to approach you? Do you have, like, a a seamless, like, what's your philosophy on this thing of, like, letting like letting people know that you are in recovery and you are sober. Um, how, how do you usually um, entertain that with other people? I, um, you know, it's interesting. Sometimes I walk. I'm a walker. And so when I'm out and about, you know, I'll say hi to people. Because um, one thing that, uh, that my old mentor told me, the book study guy, you know, sometimes, you know, uh, the smile that you give somebody could be the smile of God. Hmm. Some of the stuff that some of these people have told me, like, they have stuck with me, and I've tried it, and doggone it, it works. And so a lot of times, you know, I'll just say hi. You know, and sometimes people won't say anything to me, but sometimes they'll look up and they'll say, oh, hi. <laughs> you know what I mean? You know, it's just, um, it depends on how I'm feeling. You know, if I'm feeling spiritually, you know, kind of somewhat fit, and for the most part, I am, for the most part. Not always, but for the most part, you know, just uh, I try to say positive things to people or somebody's walking by, oh, that looks really nice. Oh, I like your hair. Oh, you have beautiful eyes. Do people tell you that all the time? Like, I, I'll engage in conversation like that, you mm. know? Yeah, and it seems to work. Yeah. Yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah, I mean, Siobhan, you're very humble, but you really help a lot of people, oh. including myself and sounds like just random people on the street. And I just, I just thank you. I adore you. Um, you're very precious. And uh, thank you for coming on this podcast. With you guys yeah. are the very best. Yeah. Thank you we, so much for asking. Trevon, you did. This is amazing. We are, we are so excited to just uh, be here in your presence today and just be a part of this. And uh, again, thanks, Mondo and Color Studios. And and uh, man, so, Sober Champs episode three out. So we're gonna we, we cut. <laughs> <laughs>